one of the things that I was feeling as a model and as an actress, really. You are a pawn in someone else's game. You are their vision. When you get to set, you let them do your hair, your makeup, dress you and photograph and light you however they want. And you really don't get to have a say in it. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, Editor-in-Chief of InStyle Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. This week I get to chat with my first InStyle cover star, Emily Ratajkowski. Yes, she's a fox, but she's also a boss. She's known as an actress and model, but her passion is reframing perceptions of feminism and sexuality. Her recent essay for New York Magazine is a must-read, and she has a book coming out next year. She's also going to be a mama. Welcome to Ladies First, Emily Ratajkowski, who is best number one. Emily and I met at a rag and bone show. Is that correct? Yeah. So I think it was my first fashion week in New York. I was living in a tiny little apartment in the East Village and I was like Mm -hmm. super confused about why I was going to sit front row at a fashion show. I was like, why am I doing this again? And my publicist was like, it's really great. You're going to be sitting next to this woman who's really cool. You'll really like her. And so I was very nervous and it was cold. I'm from California. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, is this a cute look? Why am I here? kept thinking that you know and you made me feel super comfortable you were like the spark in the darkness you were wearing a baby blue kind of pantsuity thing if I recall and I have a crap memory but I remember like this fetching gal in blue well I'm happy to hear that I made an impression and in the time since in the seven years Emily and I have known each other uh one we've become fast friends and we've also worked together a ton I wanted to work with her for my first cover of InStyle in 2016 because it was important to me that we registered acting fashion and and a a voice within one person not just I'm a model I'm an actress I'm, I'm this and that that was a huge honor and such a great shoot too I love those images they're really great. And, and then, but before that, I'd shot you with no clothes on yes. at all as a Lady Godiva type figure for Harper's Bazaar on a horse. Yeah, with like a conversation with Naomi Wolf, which was really cool. So Ladies First is about women who, in my arbitrary nature, are first in what they do. And what Emily does so, so well is demonstrate ownership ownership of your mind, ownership of your body, ownership over how you project yourself, and in a way that confounded and defied a lot of expectations of what a a girl who looks like you would be. And I have huge respect for that. I remember very clearly you sitting down with Naomi Wolf and I and you having absolute command of that conversation. I do remember that conversation really vividly. Yeah, and I remember like she was quite quiet. I was like, okay, we're going to Put this saucy pairing together and see. And you just went, and the orchestra started up and off you went. And she was like, oh, and I was like, there we go. But for me, I do think about ownership. And, and you wrote an essay for your New York Magazine, which is part of our upcoming book, about ownership of your image, how that has been abused, how you've lost it, how you've, how you've tried to reclaim it. You speak often about when you first became a visual when you were younger and your lack of confidence in that. And so I'd like to talk about how that started and how your confidence slowly grew. I think that it's only been recently that I've sort of changed the way I look at this, but I really separated the image and the real Emily. It was a protective thing that I did, not consciously, you know, in order to handle 
what it was like to, you know, to have my body be the commodity, basically. Mm-hmm. I left school and was working full time. And it wasn't like one of those things where I, I left college to be like, I'm going to be a famous actress and model at all. Right. What my plan was like, I'm going to go make money. It's an interesting thing to think about, but I'm not sure that it was necessarily like the healthiest way to go about. I mean, no, no, not for anybody. And it's really only been sort of in my late twenties as, um, like, a I think coming into being a really a woman, which is so crazy because I think at 22, I would have told you that I was pretty much there that I realized like, wow, this is kind of like crazy that I have had this separation between the real Emily that, you know, will go to dinner with Laura Brown and then the one that's called a sex symbol by the world or whatever. Right. And I mean, boy, when you're at dinner with me, you know who the sex symbol is. It's quite clear. So you don't even try. It's very easy with you. And in this essay you wrote for New York Magazine, you talk about a photographer taking advantage of you. But when did you start to have ownership of the way you presented? When did you sort of start putting two and two together? Oh, yes, yes, I'm a sex symbol. And yes, they like my boobs and my butt or whatever. But when it was like, it's become on my terms now. One of the ways that I sort of started to reclaim it was through posting my own images. And one of the things that I was feeling as a model and as an actress, really, you are sort of a pawn in someone else's game. You are their vision. When you get to set, you let them do your hair, your makeup, dress you and photograph and light you however they want. And you really don't get to have a say in it, especially when you're first starting out. And so I think that through Instagram was one of the first ways that I started to feel Like, oh, I'm in control. I can put my image out there how I want to be. And as someone who had definitely experienced violation or what I write about in the and the New York Magazine piece about how a lot of people were taking my images and profiting off of them for themselves and ones that I didn't feel comfortable with them doing that Mm. with. It was sort of my way of like reclaiming my power and being like, I'm going to show my body how I want to. My iCloud was hacked. I was a part of that sort of big hacking with Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lawrence and a lot of other celebrities. So it was a lot of like, where do I get to be in control of my image? And it was really, you know, through the internet in some ways. Ironic, isn't it? Tell me about the first time that you felt, it was it in that story from the photographer, that your your image had gotten away from you? Mm. I think it started before that in smaller ways. I'd do a shoot for something and then it would be used in a way that I ha- it wasn't intended for, that I had agreed to or was my understanding. So even just something as simple as doing a lookbook and then driving down Sunset Boulevard, I have a really vivid memory of seeing it on a billboard and being like, that was meant to be you know, a catalog image and now it's on a billboard. Mm-hmm. What the hell? More than anything in that moment, I was like, well, they have to pay me um, for that. <laughs> I'm getting a um, here. Because that I'm was really, again, where my mind was really grounded. I was like, well, the yeah. one thing I control is how much money, you know? Right, but right. What I what I found more and more is I sort of started to be like, okay, this person needs to whatever, pay me for this usage or blah, 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 that, you know, there aren't actually that many laws that protect women and models for the way that their, their image is being used. There were so many examples of my image being used or taken or whatever in a way that I hadn't really wanted. So unfortunately, it was not just like a one-off experience. It was a continual kind of like trauma. (laughs) It's interesting that you do refer to money quite a bit. Do you see that as as a control, a way to control those traumatic moments? Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. Right. Like, okay, this sucked and I feel violated and I'm, I'm completely out of context, but you'll pay me. Yeah. 
So you can say you will pay and actually mean it. Yeah. I mean, and also there was just, I think there is this sort of feeling around the industry of like, well, what is, what is the image that someone's putting out there? I think even seven years ago, which wasn't that long ago, you know, it was really like, if you want to be an actress, then you really need to tone down the sexy. And I think that's still really true. I think it's a little less, like now you have the euphoria actresses, I Mm. feel like are a good example of someone who's like, we don't care, like screw that. But definitely in general, that's sort of the messaging. And so you can imagine how, as somebody who's trying to sort of build my career as an actress, how scary it was to have old shoots coming out and feeling like, oh my God, I'm messing up and whatever, even though it wasn't actually me making the decisions. So in some ways I was like, well, you know what? It's going to feel really good posting my own bikini photo because then at least I'm the one taking the picture. I like how I look. I'm the one who's sharing it. And in some ways it was like a way of clogging out the stuff that I, I wasn't in control of. Yeah, and that's why I think this has been is uh, you know for for celebrities uh, you know to be able to control your own narrative on on Instagram. I think a lot of people say they appreciate that because you're able to be your own editor. And um, and no, and in a recent you know recent times, the way you've you've displayed this is obviously you're pregnant. There's a baby in there, and and you really uh, manage this reveal really, really, really well too. And I and I've noticed like I mean, I'm sure you guys listening can tell this as well, but I know this, but. This this gal's a savvy gal, and not not a mercenary gal, but a savvy gal, and um, and revealed uh, your pregnancy on a digital cover of Vogue. Uh, what was a month ago? It was like um, five weeks ago. So how did you ma- go, go? Okay, how am I? Uh, how will I manage this? I'm not going to have this taken away from me. Too. Yeah, I'm really lucky to have an amazing publicist who actually was the person who basically introduced us. And you know, New York Magazine had just come out, and we were really having a lot of conversations about control and mm-hmm. about image. And when I told her I was pregnant, we had a conversation of like, well, what is The one thing we definitely don't want happening is this leaking and being out of my control. And like Mm -hmm. the press just tells whatever story they want to tell and whatever, because it got out. So we took it really seriously. I did not tell anyone. And then we made the decision to really quietly connect to Vogue. So we worked with an old friend of mine, Lena Dunham, on the video Mm -hmm. that was shot by my husband at home. I was starting to show and it was just like, okay, how, how can I do this in a way that really makes me feel good? And you nailed it. And I I saw you not long after that, uh, we had dinner and you still had a crop top on. And it was so great. I've always said to people, I'm all about body positivity. And a lot of the time, other women or just critics will say to me, like, well, easy for you to say, you know? Right. First of all, it's how I feel comfortable dressing is, like, I like showing off my body. I like feeling connected to my body by wearing clothes that are maybe tighter. That's certainly not changing during pregnancy. And I own like ready to wear and swimwear line and I was just continued to be the face of it. And we're not a pregnancy line. There's not pregnant clothes. I've just gone up a size and I'm happy. (laughs) I really want the message to be, you know, at least in how I feel and how I'm approaching my life right now is everything doesn't stop. I'm still working on my book. I'm still, you know, wearing bikinis and it doesn't have to change. I don't have to go into hiding because I'm pregnant. No, you do not. And I was thinking that you're an only child, as am I actually. And a characteristic of only children, I think, sometimes is really thrusting yourself into the world and really wanting to get on with it and get going. And now, of course, you're going to be a mother yourself. What are some of the things that 
you learn from your mum or, or or experiences you had as a kid that you do or do not want to sort of replicate as 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 a mom yourself? Oh man, it's so interesting how being pregnant brings up so much about the way you were raised and your childhood. Mm-hmm. And I do actually think that the way that you treat a baby lays the foundation for how they'll be in their whole life. So I've really tried to do and think a lot about teaching a baby to trust itself mm-hmm. and to rely on itself while also being okay with asking for support. I think that we have a really weird approach to how we parent with babies where it's like either you are, you know, helicopter parenting and you're like wanting to fix every second when they're struggling with something, you're like right there to fix it. Or you're like, well, they have to cry it out and figure it out on their own. And I'm trying to find this balance of really having faith both in myself as a mother and as a parent, but also in my baby and being like, okay, you are feeling upset right now. I really want my child to feel capable, basically, and to trust their abilities and the way that they can also rely on me. Hopefully that's that's something that as an adult, they'll also be able to carry mm. with them. And when you were a kid, is there something, a thought process you had or something that you had to learn that you, you hope that your kid doesn't have to deal with? I would say that definitely as an only child, you you do have this really amazing feeling of like, I'm going to put myself out there in the biggest ways and I'm so fearless. I think you and I definitely both have that quality. And sometimes that means overexposing yourself and like putting yourself out there in a way that you maybe is not always like necessary or the best thing for yourself. So I just want to really make sure that my child doesn't have that part of it. But how have you worked on cultivating mystery? Ooh, it's a hard one. I think it's a really tough balance in this world, bringing it back to control. I go to the grocery store. I'm probably going to go this afternoon and there's a pretty decent chance that a paparazzi will follow me from my house. And uh, it's a weird feeling because I'm like, I don't want you to photograph me. I think it's a little too much. I'm sick of everyone seeing my pregnancy outfits every day, but I'm also not going to hide in the house because I'm afraid or because I want more mystery or whatever. I think that's problematic. I don't think that Mm. would make me happy. I want to be able to go to the grocery store when I want to go to the grocery store. And also when you guys got married, you and and Siva got married, how long now? Two years? Um, Three years in February, which is crazy. I know. Crikey. God, you've really, you've really packed it in. She's not even 30. But you also, you got married at City Hall. Yeah, we got married at City Hall. We did not tell really anyone except the people that were coming and we kind of did it our own way. I like to do things my own way. And that's the thing that makes me the happiest. I don't know if it's always the best thing or not, but certainly it just brings me the most satisfaction. everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam.
Welcome back to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm talking to my good friend, Emily Ratajkowski, who's getting ready to be a mom for the very first time. Who in the business, and the business could be Hollywood acting, writing, whatever, have you learned things from in the last few years? And who, and to your point, I, I, I love your example of the Euphoria girls, or I always think of like Rowan Blanchard, these girls that are right now being like, I'm sexy. So who do you defer to? Who have you been learning from? And who do you see sort of coming up that is on a similar track? Oh, I mean, I think there's so many amazing young people right now. As far as young women, I definitely think the euphoria, I think Sydney Sweeney, Alexa DeMay, is that how you say her last name? I think so. Um, uh, yes, yes. And Barbie Ferreira. I think that they're really cool and they're definitely doing it their own way. And it's really exciting to see that from my perspective. I just think there's so many people who are doing interesting things. But what I like to do is look at a wide array of like eclectic people. So as far as the business goes, we can talk about this in different ways. Like with writing, it was really important to me to find an editor and a publisher who it will give it to me straight and be brutal and right. push me as hard as possible. I was not interested in working with someone who was like, you've done it. It's great. Cool. I really wanted to to be pushed with my writing and my work and to do it right. Mm-hmm. And then as far as like business with the, with the actual, um, my line, we actually have had our biggest year ever and it's been an amazing, but also terrifying year, obviously, because we're very proud that we make all of our swimsuits in Los Angeles. And yeah. with COVID, it got really tricky. The space that they were working in was not socially distant. So a lot of things were delayed, but what I've learned is to build a really amazing team finding the balance between trusting yourself but then also learning to delegate and find people who are really good at what they do and can contribute if you can strike the balance there then you have hit a sweet spot yeah and what are you the most confident in and what are you the least oh Right now, I'm the most confident in working hard. I don't know if that's a thing you can be confident in, (laughs) but I'm definitely in a stage like I'm writing a lot right now and I'm just feeling really confident in not necessarily the end result, but just knowing that I'm going to keep working is a super fulfilling and, and gratifying experience. I'm definitely nervous about being a mom. I mean, it's such a new identity. I mean, it's been really, in some ways, hard, like, writing about other parts of my life while really all I can think about is what's coming and this baby and how I'm going to be responsible for them and what it's going to mean to, you know, have this new identity. So I'm, I don't know if I'm not confident in it, but I'm certainly like wary and I'm new. I'm new, you know, you're new. I haven't done this before. What can I tell you? How much prep are you doing? Do you read like what to expect or what? I mean, that's like iconic book, but do you do that stuff? I have a doula, so I've been Mm -hmm. sort of like letting her tell me about things and teach me. I'm very fortunate. I have my very best friend from way back in the day. Child development is her specialty. (gasps) So she has been providing me like books like Educare and Building a Family and whatever. And it's actually just so interesting to learn about that as, as someone who's interested in psychology and like therapy and whatever to think about how you apply that to a baby is really cool. Mm. I've been doing some of that, but also some of it's just, I mean, just feeling like safe and in love with my husband has been really nice. Baby, look, this whole COVID time sucks, but if, if, if you're going to be at home, it's a good time to be pregnant and to just indulge that for whatever, because the minute that baby comes out, 
You're going to work, girl. I know. I'm going to work. But I'm trying to finish writing the the rest of the essays before the babies do. So it's like very like baby and book. Like my body's working yeah. on the baby and my mind's working on the book. And that's that. And as you get more pregnant, you'll be able to put the laptop on your own stomach. I did it yesterday for the first time. <laughs> it's just, oh. it's crazy. You go from 20 to like 26 weeks and the baby doubles in size or something crazy like that. In that span, I was looking at pictures and I'm like, oh, oh, wow, this is different. <laughs> and how's you, yeah, I mean, you look good. You have energy. You, you Thanks. So yeah, fine, right? I've been really yeah. lucky. My One of my very good friends is three weeks in front of me and she had terrible morning sickness for the first trimester and stuff like that. And I've just felt really knock on wood great so far. I'm not the most physically active person in the world. So trying to like <laughs> implement that now that, you know, I'm carrying all this, this little guy inside me has been a new, a new development, but yeah. yeah what are you doing? A little, like the odd, <laughs> A little stretch, a little roll from one side to the other. I mean, I'm taking walks, which is really what they say, but I did this one kind of prenatal aerobics moment that just really didn't work out for me. So now I'm going to try prenatal Pilates. (laughs) (laughs) So wish me luck. I guess when you go to the grocery store, because there's going to be packs there, you you have to look cute, right? I mean, you must have to put, so not making these sounds superficial, but if you know you're going to get a photograph, you pull yourself together, right? Yeah, it's so hard now. Like, I used to be like, well, I like to just look cute in general, which is true. Like, I definitely like to get dressed and feel good about myself. But yeah, of course, I am totally aware that there might be, you know, 20 pictures that the world sees a couple hours later. And so I try to look cute, which I mean, I'm still kind of trying to decide how I feel about that because I don't want to have to always be wearing the perfect out. Like I definitely try not to wear the same thing the next day if I've already been photographed and it's a weird position. I'm like, should I be doing that? Or should I just say, screw it? I don't know. And the fact that that has to occur in your head whenever you leave the house, that's also the question you ask, why is this a question? But that's, that's what happens. Yeah. And finding, okay, here's the reality. And like, now what do I want? What, what's going to make me feel the best? You might as well look, if they're going to take a picture of you, chuck on an Amarata somewhere and go, yes, it's available on my website. As somebody who's known, you're often so validated by people and that can become very seductive. When did you first start to reconcile that people weren't going to like it, weren't going to like what you did, as irrational as it may be? I think I had started to do that really early because as a working model, you really get used to rejection. I was super used to going into castings, people taking my picture and like looking at me like, why are you here? You know? So I think that I was almost maybe too prepped for that. That definitely messes with you a little bit. I think that I just sort of started to accept also that there is like a little bit of a game of telephone going on sometimes in the Uh world, which is why I love writing so much because it's really clear and concise. If it's well-written, it's very much there, you know? I do think it's very difficult sometimes to have that feedback and the validation is just, I don't care who you are. Like, it's just such a crazy high. I mean, we all experience it on different levels, right? You post, it doesn't matter if you have 30 followers or 30 million, you get, you know, three likes on one picture and 10 on another. You're like, oh, wow, I guess people really didn't like this other picture. Mm -hmm. And it's just the world we live in right now. I'm hoping that younger generations have a better relationship to it. Because it is, it's hard to separate. I mean, if you, if someone said to you, you can't be on Instagram for a week, you wouldn't 
Sometimes I try. It's hard because like Instagram is such a part of my, the way that I've, you know, had control, but also mm-hmm. Inamorata is a direct consumer mm-hmm. business. Like that's how I launch products. That's how I share what's going on with my life. So, you know, there is just that sort of practical aspect to it. But as far as emotionally, like I might even feel a little relieved for someone to say like, you can't go on Instagram for a week. During COVID, I remember Bella Hadid took off like a week or some some time and we talked about it afterwards and she was like, let me tell you, like it was so necessary and so great. So I think if you can set those boundaries for yourself, sometimes it can be really helpful. Why when people like your essay, they like it for your essay, but guess what? On, on Instagram is a picture of you more often than not. And that's that's a slippery slope. Yeah. And it's strange because there's a lot of things I've done, but definitely a lot of people know me based on how I look. How did you get your runway walk down, by the way? Is it something you really have to practice? I still don't think I'm that good. I'm not a runway model. I'm 5'7". I've done like, I don't know, maybe six or something. (laughs) And you've really got it. You've really got to keep your focus because there's so many. I find it's quite the, I think if aliens came down and watched this little ritual, they'd be like, what? Like, why is that happening? Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you have been to more fashion shows than, I mean, I could ever, ever handle. Yeah. And I think, well, you know, look, if I hadn't been, I wouldn't have met you, would I? That's true. In your powder blue. And uh, all right. So we have something we just call 10 firsts. It's just 10 cheeky little quezzies. Love it. Okay. First things first. I know this, but first drink you order. Like in in life or? In, the, yeah, in normal times when you might be having. Normal times, definitely a red wine or a gin martini Hendrix, dirty extra olives. But sadly, there are two factors going on right now. One, COVID, and two, pregnancy. So the drink I order now is just a sparkling water. Emily is a great connoisseur of the vin rouge. And one of my, my, my images of Emily is make, she's not a fall down drunk. She's really not. She's more of a sit-up drunk. No, it's Emily sitting there looking fetching in whatever city we're in and with a nice, big, beautifully handled glass of red. I always, I always think about that with you. God, I mean, nothing brings me more joy, truly. Uh, I mean, me it's funny. Away. I haven't missed it or craved it at all, but um, I will definitely, I look forward to indulging. Me too. Okay, first thing you look at on your phone in the morning? Um, text messages, then email, Then I look at our Shopify usually to see what we did the day before. And then Instagram. Do you have a hard time putting down the phone at night before you go to bed? I'm okay with night because I get really sleepy at night. Like I'm one of those people who's like, I can't talk to anyone. I'm now in a different place. But in the morning, my husband sleeps later than me naturally. Like his deep sleep comes in the morning. So he'll still be passed out. My dog's still passed out. And it's like a little too early. And I can just, I can kill an hour on my phone, which I don't think Mm -hmm. is the best way to start the day. So like this morning I woke up before him and I just got up and went and made a, you know, coffee and got a big glass of water and started writing because I was like, I don't want to spend an hour looking at outfits on Instagram or whatever. Looking at everybody's quarantine looks. Yeah, or like reading, you know, it's been quite a year for news. It can be very overwhelming, (laughs) you know, to be on Twitter and just you can go down holes. And you don't want to be actually pregnant and in the fetal position yourself. Never good. Okay, first person you call. First person I call would be my husband or my very dear friend, Babs, Barbara. Yeah, your dear, oh, her name is Babs. I think, ever, can Babs be my dear friend? Because I think everybody is better off with a dear friend called Babs. 
I mean, we were talking about her name the other, because I've been thinking about names a lot, obviously, Mm. having to name a person. And we were like, God, Barbara's just like such, like, such an insane name. But (laughs) I I really do start, especially for somebody under the age of 50, you know? Now, Barbara's need to have an at-home bar with some sort of leopard. Sometimes it's like, it sounds like Bob. You heard it here. Emily's naming her non-sex reveal enigmatic baby. Babs, you're welcome. Okay, first and most recent uh, fashion splurge. First fashion splurge, I'm a little ashamed to say, was um, (laughs) for an event. I didn't, like, have a stylist or anything yet, and I was going to a fancy party in New York, and I went and bought an Herve Legere black (gasps) dress. And actually, you know, I wore Herve Legere last year, and I loved it, so Mm -hmm. not shit-talking, but it was quite expensive and it was like the band it was the band-aid dress and I remember being like I can't believe I'm buying this like $800 it's not it wasn't even you know so crazy compared to what other things are but it like yeah. blew my mind um but you know it, did what the color was it? it was black was it thank god black. thank god uh, thank god it wasn't like baby blue or pink or something and then recent recent splurge god you know i haven't really been spending much money other on myself except for you know baby stuff or home stuff because i I mean you're you're really um you know the term house proud like it's very british term but it's like you really like to you really like to take care of your home furniture art whatever so what have you been doing with the house our nursery is going to be space themed um but i did buy (laughs) a very cool like space rug through the nursery can you please come and do my house in the same theme. You know what I might splurge on soon is like a good, cool rocking chair because a lot of the like rocking chairs are just not that cool. They just are kind of ugly. And I'm, I, you know, I'm buying a chair that I probably keep for a while. So I'm trying to find a cool one on like first dibs or I don't know something. So we'll see what I end up with. It's got to be cool, but it's also to be comfortable. And when you do get that magnificent rocking chair, please model bikinis for an Amarato on it. So we can have like a mixed message like, I might, one day I'll be old in this, but now, yeah. Yeah. Okay. If there's one particular moment you can cite, first time you owned your shit, like publicly. Owned my shit. Oh, this is too hard. I feel like you know. (laughs) I can't speak for you. But I I think it was, how I've known you, that interview with Naomi Wolf. Mm-hmm. And it was really before, you know, like Beyonce had like danced in front of a feminist sign and people were wearing feminist shirts. Obviously, there were a lot of identifying, but the idea that like a model who was known for being naked, being a feminist mm-hmm. felt really problematic to people. And I was just like, well, yeah, but this is me. And I didn't try to like clean up sort of my identity. I was really just like open about that. And I think that was probably a moment of owning my shit. Although like my politics and my worldviews have changed in a lot of ways. I I stand by the fact that I didn't try to just be like, well, whatever, you know, I don't have anything to say. I'm glad Mm -hmm. that I had something to say. I noticed that you were sort of, you were like sort of the third way you were redefining how women could be seen in the culture and just being like, yeah, guess what? My boobs are out. Guess what? I'm a feminist. Guess what? They can coexist. And it was blowing people's minds. Yeah. I think I just, I've always had like different sides to me. There was, there Mm. were, I think a lot of different ways my life could have gone that weren't necessarily the way that it has gone. And instead of sort of like trying to clean it all up and put it under one umbrella that felt really clean and nice, 
I sort of embraced the the whole gamut and I'm happy I did that. Okay, first date. Oh God. Dates are weird, right? I remember actually this boy who I definitely didn't think that was was very cute, but he was so nice, took me out on a date in high school. I was probably like 15 and he picked me up in like his truck and took me to this Mexican place. And I was so not interested in him that I actually insisted on paying the bill (laughs) because I just was like, I can't like let him pay this bill. I don't want to have to owe him anything. And I really don't want him to get the wrong message that I was like at all interested. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh no, I'm your friend. Like I'll get this one, you know? And then like later got home and was like, God like, damn it. Why did I pay that bill for this little kid? You know? And he was like older than me. He was like 17, but he could have definitely paid the bill. But that you have returned to your, one of your dominant themes, Emily, which is control and money and ownership and going like, this is a situation that it makes me feel a bit wibbly wobbly. Yeah. So I'll just, so let me sort it out. Yeah. And I was doing that at 15 on a weird date. So you, you know, you're consistent. That's true. Consistency is key. Okay. First thing you turn on TV. Oh God. I've really, 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 really love the great British baking show. I really do. I just enjoy Prue. I enjoy Paul Hollywood. I'm just so grateful for it. The holiday edition is coming out in a few days. and I'm really looking forward to it. It brings me deep joy. Deep joy. How charming the people are. You know, but they're also collegial. They're not like, "Eh, I'm going to get her at all. There's a seriousness, obviously. They give real feedback and they're pretty brutal. They'll kick off some of my favorite people were kicked off in this last season. But they just, it's very funny and very goofy. And I really enjoy it. And it just something that comes from a a universally good, good and cynical place uh and uh, and that's all too uh, as it has been in this year this political cycle uh, all too rare so uh i hear you okay first thing you do or eat if you're stressed i really love thai food it deeply comforts me or chinese food of course i'll order like a yellow curry and just you know cozy up and turn on great british baking show and there we go healed and then asleep by 9.30. Exactly. Okay, first car you bought? First car I bought was a Nissan Versa. It had been destroyed in a car crash and then rebuilt. Resuscitated. Yeah. <laughs> and I bought it in Chula Vista for cash, and she served me well for many years. I was super grateful to her, and um, yeah. And lastly, what's the first thing you'll do when this goddamn pandemic is over? Oh my God. I'd really love to have a big baby shower party. And I just don't think that's going to happen. So I wish that I could do that, but I'd love to do something similar to that. Just throw Mm -hmm. a good party with a bunch of people I love. I certainly would love to end up in Japan or Italy. I've told my (laughs) husband, like, we are bringing the baby. Like, I don't care. It's going to happen. And those are the two places that are on the top of the list. And you will. And you can just put little baby in a little, little knapsack. We'll see. Again, all of these things are great in theory, but I can't talk until I've walked the walk. And well, that's what we've all that's what we've all learned. You're going to learn it in actual physical practice, but we've all learned this over this time or whatever uh, iteration of life we're in. So, Emily, first lady, ladies first. You struck me when I first met you as 
a really solid person who and to see you and I say this all the time that your auntie I'm I'm so proud of you uh and how you represented yourself how you have claimed your own voice and, and how you demonstrate complete and utter ownership of what you do so onward and you're not even 30 you little shit but that's cool Godspeed. Thank you so much, Laura. And the feeling is 100% mutual. It's been so exciting to watch you take over in style and now to do this. And I'm always cheering on from the sides. But also, thank you for, you know, seeing me. That's very nice, too. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta at LauraBrown99.